many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, friends. Uh, we're back with you on our weekly show, uh, Taking Care of Business, and we're very happy uh, to be back. Um, my guest to, uh, this morning really represents a big challenge to myself. Um, he's not just an entrepreneur. He also has a radio and TV talk show, so uh, that's going to be a challenge for me. Um, some of the guests that he hosted over the years were Ted Koppel, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Oprah Winfrey, astronaut Jim Laval, and uh, gold medalist Dan Jensen. Uh, by the way, Jeff, do you remember what he won gold medal for? Dan Jansen, absolutely I remember. Speed skating. He was a speed skater, you bet. <laughs> so our guest today is Jeff Blackman, president of Blackman and Associates LLC from the greater Chicago area. Uh, let me introduce Jeff to you. Uh, Jeff is a speaker, author, success coach, broadcast personality, and a lawyer. Above. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, how are you, David? I'm okay. Um, I think we should start with our usual conversation. Is new? How is it going? Oh, was magst du? Alles klar. Um, you already know that Jeff uh, is a talk show host, but I would like to share some of the other achievements uh, that are uh, really representing who the person is. Uh, Jeff is a member of the National Speaker Association, and in 2008, Jeff was uh, one of five elected inductees um, to the National Speakers Association Speakers Hall of Fame. Uh, he was awarded the Council of Peers Award of Excellence designation. Uh, some of the people that shared this award with him are former President Roland Reagan, Colin Powell, and Zig Ziglar. Uh, based on the quality and impact of his uh, contact and delivery, which I was, I was lucky enough to be pres present twice, Jeff was named 2008 Speaker of the Year by the Vistage uh, Tech Organization, which is the world's, uh, world, uh, world's leading CEO's organization. Um, Jeff wrote many books. Uh, some of his best-selling books are include Opportunity Selling, Results, Stop Whining, Start Selling, and Pick Your, uh, Pick Your Profits, which has, uh, was selected as one of the best business books uh, on tape. Uh, Jeff graduated, graduated with honors from uh, both University of Illinois and Illinois Institute of Technology, uh, Kent College of Law. Uh, Jeff is a happy husband, which we'll uh, later kind of discuss, a devoted father and an avid uh, software player. Um, Jeff Blackman helps you create profits through people, and we'll discuss this later. His customized program refers your road to results, help a financial services client of his generate $230 million directly from referrals in 23 months. Once again, Jeff, good morning, and thank you for being my guest today. Uh, pleasure's mine. Thank you, David. Um, so, Jeff, the way we start our, our shows is uh, we want to learn a little bit about the personal life of the person that we're interviewing for the listeners and for ourselves, um, because we know each other on a business uh, level, but uh, we'd like to kind of dig a little bit deeper for where a person com comes from. With you, I, I have to start with the end um, and take a different angle with the start. So I want to have, ask you one simple question, and I need 
a yes or no answer. Are you healthy and plan to live for many more years? <laughs> the game plan is not equivocal, yes. Uh, there yeah. are external factors that I'm not currently aware of. Uh, but hey, I'm a lifelong Cup fan, so I've been used to pain and suffering for years until 2016. And so. Uh, <laughs> Um, that's exactly why I asked you the question, because uh, I met you twice. Um, first, when you came to our tech group, and second time, uh, when I invited you to present in front of uh, my company uh, at our Banff retreat. Both times, the one thing you did mention was that as a diehard Cubs fan, you're probably not going to see them win the World Series in your lifetime. So tell us, share with us October 2016. Well, October and then actually November 2016, because that's when the Cubs finally won it. And it's very interesting if you ask people, when did the Cubs win the World Series? The answer depends upon whether they were in the central time zone or the eastern time zone. (laughs) So here in Chicago, we were still watching in the central time zone, but it snuck into eastern time the next day. So it depends whether you were available on November 1 or 2 to witness what unequivocally many feel was really one of the greatest Game 7s in the history of baseball, David. And when you've got an emotional attachment to a team the way that I do, my wife does, our family does to the history of the lore of the Chicago Cubs, we were actually at the game with the family uh, just a couple weeks ago on April the 15th. We went to go see the Cubs against the Pirates, and it's the first game that I had seen over the past year, year and a half, that they had lost. So they really whooped the Pirates bad last night. But on the game that we went to, which was just this glorious Saturday afternoon, 80 degrees on April the 15th in Chicago in sunshine, they lost. But we were witnessing a team that unequivocally is the world champions. And we had never done that before. <laughs> so was Chicago always home for Jeff Blackman? I was born in Chicago, so I'm 61. I know you thought I was significantly younger than that, as do many people, David. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't look a day older than 70, I have to admit. And I've been told that I've got the perfect <laughs> face for radio. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you that's true. <laughs> Although I didn't recognize you once you had shaved. So, you know, you without the beard is a whole new experience for me. (laughs) So tell us about Chicago growing up. Well, 1956, I was born in Chicago. Mom and dad moved to a community called Lincolnwood, which literally is the first suburb north of Chicago. They share a common border. And Chicago is just minutes away from Lincolnwood, at least the northernmost border of the city. So in Lincolnwood... That's really where I grew up. So mom and dad were in Lincolnwood from 1957 until July of 2008 when they moved from the home that I grew up in. They then moved to a condo or an apartment approximately a mile and a half, two miles at most to the west. And they're literally now in the process of moving from that facility into an assisted living facility. Uh, And I saw it for the first time last night, uh, brought over some boxes And next week, early May, my folks are going to be moving to this assisted living facility. But Chicago has always been home for me. When it comes to baseball, there are two teams, the White Sox and the Cubs, and I just bleed cubby blue. I've got no sense of animosity for the White Sox. If they win, which they did in 2005, it's good for the city. 
Um, growing up as a kid, um, share with us, was uh, baseball big in your life, playing outside baseball, or you already, uh, you know, you were working on your business ideas at home and reading, and uh, what kind of a kid were you? Yeah, as a kid, I became an entrepreneur at the age of two. Uh, that, <laughs> I actually began to seek dollars from VCs throughout the United States. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, I was always a jock. So I was a good student academically, but I was a jock. So in high school, I played three sports. I played basketball, I played baseball, and I played soccer. Baseball was always my best sport because from a very young age, I was always with a ball. So I would take a league ball, not a rubber ball, a league ball, and I would throw it off the brick wall in our backyard or the brick wall in the side yard between our home and our next-door neighbor's home for hours. So I was an infielder primarily. I played some outfield, but primarily I was an infielder, and then I pitched. So I was a really good defensive player. Offense, I was okay, but I was especially good defensively. So I played competitive baseball from the age of five or six until the age of 18, four years of high school. And then I had considered going out for the University of Illinois baseball team, spoke to the coach, because we had great teams in high school, David. We actually won the state championship in 1972. And some of the guys who I played ball with a year younger, they went out to win the summer state championship in the summer of 1974 when I graduated. And then the following year, they were state champions. So I actually played ball with some guys who went to the pro level. A fellow named Ray Baruki, Ray's a year younger than I am. His roommate, when they were in the Philadelphia Phillies organization, was Ryan Sandberg, who eventually was traded from the Phillies to the Cubs. And Rhino became a great Cub, but also a Hall of Fame player. And he also delivered one of the greatest induction speeches of all time when he was inducted into Cooperstown. So I was blessed to play baseball with great ball players, And then I started playing competitive softball. So I played softball from the age of 19 until the age of 52 when my knees just said, hey, we can't handle it. <laughs> um, yeah. Share with us your time in university. Uh, you graduated both uh, with honors. Uh, you graduated with a law degree. Um, how were the years uh, spending at the universities of Illinois? Uh, University of Illinois, I've got incredibly fond memories. I was in a fraternity. We had an absolute ball there. Uh, we always had, if not the highest grade point on campus, the second highest grade point on campus for any fraternity. So we had guys that played really hard. We also had guys that studied really hard. So we knew the significance of that combination. So our fraternity literally produced doctors, lawyers, accountants, entrepreneurs, a fellow by the name of Mike Krasny, who's the founder of CDW. Michael is a fraternity brother. He's three years older than I am, but we'll still talk on occasion. We'll see each other on occasion at fundraisers or family events because he's family through very good friends of ours. So we produced very successful guys, but guys who also know how to really play and have a good time. Our youngest uh, Amanda is getting ready to graduate from the University of Illinois. And one of my great joys is that second semester, David, every year I drive down to school, Amanda and I have dinner together, and then the next day I go to classes with her. So I'm walking the exact same steps that I walked 40 plus years ago 
We attend two to three classes together. We'll have another meal. This year we went to an Illinois Northwestern basketball game. And in one of her classes, a speech communications class, the teacher said, hey, Mr. Blackman, why don't you go be guest lecturer for about 10, 15 minutes? And I just had a ball with the kids. And were you able to contain yourself only with 10, 15 minutes? Well, I made sure that we had a contractual arrangement. My agent negotiated the details. I see. That was very easy. I see. Um, So you graduate with law degree. So, and what are your first steps, you know, going into the business world? Um, You have your diploma in your hand. What's next? What what did Jeff Blackman do once he graduated with the diploma of a a lawyer? Well, the law degree was actually delayed by six months. The reason being is I graduated college in 1978, and a fellow by the name of Mark Liss and I had been friends since the age of five. Mark and I made a commitment to each other at the age of 12 or 13 that we'd go to college together. We did, University of Illinois. We then said, after that, we're going to go to Europe together, which we did in the summer of 1978, $22 a day approximately an 11 or $1,200 trip for eight weeks. And then we said, we're going to go to law school together, which we did. And I remember we were in Greece and in Greece on the island of Mykonos, David, Mark said to me, I do not want to practice law. And I said, hey, time out. We made a commitment to each other at the age of 12 that here's the game plan. I said, do me a favor, just start law school together and then decide if you don't want to continue. We said, okay, fine, deal. So we start law school together, and this is now in August or September of 1978. And midway through the first semester, although academically I was doing real well, I was frustrated because I don't have a creative outlet. So I turned to Mark and I said, I don't think I want to go to law school anymore. He says, whoa, whoa, do you remember the conversation in Greece? And I went, yeah. He says, all right, make me the commitment that you'll at least hang in for the first year before you decide you no longer want to become an attorney. So I hang in for the first year. Academically, I'd done real well. I also won, along with another fellow by the name of Steve Herseth, moot court competition, where we actually argued a case in front of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. They were our judges for a moot court competition. A judge by the name of Prentice Marshall, who was actually the head of the Seventh Circuit Court, he was the head judge for a moot court. So Steve and I were declared co-winners, and that was fun because it was like my radio background. It was like my TV background. And that's when I decided to go to law school at night and work full-time during the day. So that gave me exposure to the law, but it also gave me exposure to the business world. And I wanted to litigate. I'm a child of the 60s, David. But litigators, you know litigators, as do I. They don't litigate. So that's when I decided I don't want to practice the law since I won't litigate that often. They only litigate 5% of the time. They try to settle. And that's when I decided to pursue a business career. Jeff, uh, we're kind of uh, two minutes from a break, and I have two more questions for you. Um, In your bio, you said, I'm a happy husband. Can you explain what a happy husband means? Well, you and I both know that. We've both been married to wonderful women for a long time. It basically means we do whatever the heck they want. So they're happy. Well, I, I kid people when they ask, how long have you and Cheryl been married? I go, well, first, we met at the age of 18. We got married at the age of 26. So we've now known each other for 43 years. In August of this year, we'll have been married for 35 years. And I tell folks that when we got married, we decided 
but I would make all the important decisions and she would make all the minor insignificant decisions. And the good news is in almost 35 years of marriage, David, I have not had to make a single major decision. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, last question before we go into a break, uh, commercial break. Are you still playing softball? Oh, in my mind, I'm playing softball. So you and I are now chatting on a Tuesday morning. And actually, last night, I, I kind of reminisced because I would play ball on Monday nights, on Wednesday nights, and on Sunday mornings. Those were the typical three days. But I played ball every day of the week, either during the day or at night, except for Friday night. So the fact that I don't play anymore because my knees just don't allow it, my doctor wants to replace at least one or both of them. Uh, so I miss it. I miss the competition. And, um, you know, uh, in our kind of, uh, I played soccer, or I used to play soccer until last year. The reason we played soccer is for the beer and wings after. Is this the same reason you're playing, you played softball? For the beer and wings with the boys after? Uh, we actually didn't spend that much time afterwards headed to the bar, although on occasion we would do that, but usually it's just for the camaraderie as opposed to the booze. <laughs> uh, people are shocked when they go, well, wait a minute, you, you don't drink? And I go, no, I, I don't drink. When my sister Tammy got married in 1988 and I toasted her, it was probably the last time that I actually had a complete drink aside from a sip. And the reason is I like to be in charge of my day, and I found that I couldn't if I had too much to drink the night before. So I just <laughs> you know me. I love ice cream and frozen yogurt. I'm happy Perfect. with those. Perfect. Uh, so we're uh, kind of coming into a commercial break. Uh, make sure uh, to open a new tab and check www.jeffblackman.com. Follow Jeff on Twitter, register to his results report and his blog. Uh, lots of information, and we'll meet you here on the other side of the commercials. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I-Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with our guest, Jeff Blackman, president of uh, Blackman & Associates. Uh, Jeff, uh, before we jump into the business and, uh, you know, the advice uh, that uh, you are very generous in sharing with people, I want to share a personal experience I had with you, uh, with our listeners. Um, a few years ago, I think it was 2011, we invited you to our Banff retreat. Uh, we have a annual, we used to have an annual retreat in Banff. And you came as the keynote speaker in front of the whole company. And um, when your presentation was uh, done, we asked for feedback from the people. And what uh, stuck with me for the last six years now is uh, one of our veteran guys, uh, Kelly Carver, stood up and said that he, he kind of addressed not you, he addressed the young guys in our office and he said, guys, you should be thankful that you heard uh, Jeff today because if I would have heard Jeff at the uh, start of my career, my career would be way different and I'll be making way more money, which really um, goes with, uh, with, with your slogan that you help people make money through people. Um, so let's kind of touch uh, in the, with your current business. Um, and the first question I have is, what brought you to the spoken word industry? Like, what was it that piqued your interest to kind of become uh, a speaker and a, and a mentor? Well, what's intriguing about the question is that I didn't have an awareness of what brought me to the spoken word until I had an unawareness. And let me tell you what I mean. There was a woman by the name of Cheryl DeVore who wrote for the local newspaper when my wife, Cheryl, and I lived in Highland Park. And she came to one of my presentations to cover the presentation and to do a feature story about it. And when we were chatting following that program, she said to me, so tell me about your ability to speak the way that you speak. And I told her a story, which I'll share with you and your listeners soon, she said to me when she heard that story, she said, oh, so really, Jeff, your career was being shaped at the age of seven. And I went, I never really thought of it that way, but you're right. My career was being shaped by something I couldn't do. So people make this assumption, David, when they hear me speak that, oh, this guy has got the ability to really communicate effectively. That must have been a natural gift that he was born with. And it's just the opposite. When I was a kid, and I mentioned Mark List earlier, my buddy since the age of five, and we traveled to Europe together, law school, etc. When Mark and I were in the first grade, we had a teacher by the name of Donna Northrup. 
And what happened is I went home to my parents and I said to my parents the following. My teacher, Miss Northwood, is crazy. She claims that I need speech correction lessons. Well, she's wrong and I'm going to prove it to her. Because when she asked me to say the words listen and wabbit this morning in class, everybody laughed and I didn't know why. So I said the words are getting even louder. So I had this terrible speech issue when I couldn't pronounce my R's. And Mark Liss had this issue where he really couldn't effectively pronounce his CH's. So he and I would play wiffle ball in my backyard. And he would say that the ball he just pitched was a strike. And I'd say that was not a strike, that was a ball. And he would then accuse me of being a sheeter. So between the two of us, we couldn't communicate. But we had no idea at the time. But we worked together for three years going to speech correction classes. And the irony is that today I now make my living as a speaker. And he makes his living as an attorney who is also a litigator. So it was my inability that gave me the supreme interest in the spoken word. Um, That's uh, interesting. So, you know, was there someone, like a person or people, that influenced you to start your career as a professional speaker? Um, I'm not talking now at age seven. I'm talking now after you graduated and you decided that this is the path you want to take. Well, a strong influence has always been my dad. My dad will soon be 90, just in a matter of weeks. And dad, at the peak of his career, until he retired at age 65, he was the world's most published CPA and lawyer. And he is one of the founders of a firm based here in Chicago. And before they were gobbled up by Plant Moran, they had about 200 professionals here in the Chicago office. And that's a lot for an accounting firm. 200 pros is really a pretty good sized accounting firm. And the way Dad grew the firm, David, was through the spoken word where he'd speak at corporate events or industry or association events and then magazines. So he wrote for numerous trade publications. He writes for some now still. Uh, He still has got a newspaper column in Southwest Florida, as do I. So Dad and I, over the years, would actually appear on programs together. We would appear in newspapers or magazines together. But it was really his involvement with the spoken word and the written word and what he did to grow at the time, it was Blackman Callick and the Blackman Callick Bartlestein that kind of gave me a path to better understand the business world and how you could tie in the spoken word and the written word to a marketing message to acquire new clients. I see. Um, and when you kind of uh, started your business, um, did you have or did you kind of uh, structure to yourself your mission, your vision, your 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 purpose, or you just uh, went on a limb and you said, I'm going to start this business of uh, public speaking and, and being a, a mentor? And, and, and also, you know, going forward, how important is it for new entrepreneurs to have mission, vision, and, and purpose, if at all? Well, mission, vision, and purpose are nice, but I think they actually take a secondary role to passion. So things about mission and vision and purpose, I just didn't know those things at the age of 26 in 1982. Cheryl and I came back from our honeymoon. She said to me, Jeffrey, you've got opportunities to practice as a litigator at law firms. You've got more than one offer. Which law firm are you going to practice at? 
And I said, Cheryl, I made a decision. She said, what's the decision? I said, I'm not going to practice law. She went, really? Well, what do you intend to do? I said, I think I'm going to try this speaking thing. She says, what does that mean? I said, I've got no clue. She said, okay, as an occupational therapist, I can afford for us to live. If that's what your passion is, go for it. So the first year in business, I grossed $3,000, but I found my passion. And although I wasn't making much money, I loved what I was doing. So when I meet entrepreneurs or prospective entrepreneurs or hopeful entrepreneurs, and they tell me what they'd like to do, I don't ask them about their mission or their vision or their purpose. I ask them about their passion. Because unless they're willing to work harder for themselves than they do for someone else, unless they're willing to live with uncertainty, to live with risk, to live with the likelihood that, guess what, initially you might not be making much money, if they can't answer that passion question, then I know the likelihood for their success is pretty unlikely. Now, you mentioned earlier that uh, you are a very competitive athlete until your knees kind of uh, gave up on you and um, it was during high school. As, as a professional athlete, what did you learn from being a competitive athlete? Sorry, not a professional, a competitive. What did you learn that you brought with you to the business world? Well, what I learned as an athlete, and by no means that I compete at the same level as some of the guys who I played ball with, but what I learned as a competitive athlete in high school and even after high school, as well as from the professional athletes and Olympians who I've interviewed, is you have to have incredible resilience. There will always be obstacles. And the question of the obstacle is, what do you need to do to be able to get through that obstacle to get through that impediment. So it's going to be a test of how bad you truly want something. So there are going to be days in which you don't want to perform because you're tired or you feel injured. That's true of life. That's true of business. The question is, how bad do you want something? And I also learned a lot about playing by the rules. And this is my own bias or prejudice, David, but I found that anyone who cheats on the field of competition, they will somehow cheat in their life or in their business. So I would play ball with guys and I could tell they were willing to bend the rules. And I always played really hard, but the rules were there for a reason. Now, I'm not a rules guy that this is only the one way in which it can be done. You know me well enough that I love things that are so-called out of the box or creative. But there are certain parameters are in place because that's the right way to play the game. And I was also an umpire. So therefore, it became my responsibility to make sure that the rules were adhered to. And by the way, one of the things that I really learned as an umpire because I would encounter all different kinds of personalities. And I did baseball games and I did softball games. I learned how you have to really communicate with players, with coaches, with parents. And I became an umpire at age 12. And I umpired until I was probably 23 or 24 years old. So I learned really valuable lessons about how you need to communicate with people, especially when they can get very emotional in a highly competitive situation. And those lessons to this day really served me well. I can test with that, dude, that your communication is awesome. Um, I want to discuss a little bit, uh, go a little bit deeper uh, into your business, and, and, and um, let's discuss uh, to start uh, leadership. Um, what do you see as today motivators of um, 
the decision makers of today is when we kind of try to connect with them? Well, decision makers of today have to really understand their people. They also have to understand that people are not motivated by the same thing. They need to take the time to understand what drives the decisions of not only their customers, but also the people they employ. And you know, one of the things that I do on a regular basis is I prepare to do a keynote or seminar or workshop or an ongoing learning system for a client is that I interview their people. So it could be those who directly work for them or could even be their customers. And I'm able to get honest input from them because I let them know this is a totally transparent process. I want this information to then be made available to me so I can then share it with leaders of a company, of a division, whatever it might be. That's the only way we can all grow and prosper. And I actually ask leaders I go, as I discover things about your organization, how do you want me to share the information? Do you want me to be honest or diplomatic? And the answer that I always get is, no, we want you to be honest. And I go, good, you might not like what I have to tell you, but it's what you need to know as a leader. And probably one of the greatest compliments that a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, a client ever said to me, David, is he said, you know, Blackman, what I really value in our relationship, what I really enjoy and respect about you is the following. I know you will never protect your butt and I know you will never kiss my butt. (laughs) So Um, so he could always get it straight for me. (laughs) That's, and and do you see... When you go through this process, is there a big gap between the leader and, and the, the company, other employees? The answer what, do you, what do you find in today's world? Yeah, it really depends. There are some organizations, and I had an experience with a client recently, so the work that we did with them was terrific, but one of the things that I overheard in one of the halls was horrific, and that is I heard one of their leaders talking to one of their people And he actually said the following. He said, this is not a discussion. This is a dictatorship. In other words, the only voice that mattered was his. And the difficulty is that this guy is not well respected. And the difficulty is that he creates havoc on a regular day based upon fear as opposed to respect. Culture is a big deal. I spent a lot of time talking to clients about their culture. It's a topic that I've written on. People want to go to work in an environment that is safe, that is secure, that is productive, that is prosperous, that is creative, and it's not just about money. Money's nice. It's a significant motivator. But people want to know that their opinion matters, that they are being heard. Old example, but a powerful one. I was doing work for a bank. This was back in the late 1990s. And their people had said to me, hey, how come you listen to us, but our leaders don't? And I went, tell me more. And they said to me, in our employee cafeteria, on our floor, the ice machine doesn't work. They've known about that for three months. Why don't they fix it? So I actually went to the president of the division later in the day, and I said, hey, you know, just out of curiosity, folks are still wondering, why is the ice machine still broken? And his response was so intriguing. He said, are they still complaining about that? (laughs) So as opposed to just fixing it, he focused on the fact that they were still complaining. But his people interpreted that as, they don't care about me. They won't even fix the ice machine. 
Um, I have last question before we go to the second break. Is in one of your comments you write uh, to be true uh, to be a true business leader uh, builder. It's often re- it often requires independence, conviction, and viewing things through a contrarian lens. What do you mean by and can you elaborate about the uh, contrarian lens for yeah, a leader? Yeah, it's easy to take a look at things and always interpret them from a unique perspective that you call your own, but then you entertain no outside opinion. And I tell folks on a regular basis, if two people are always in agreement, one of them is not necessary. So one of the things that I do on a regular basis with my clients is I challenge them. I ask them why. Their people don't ask them why because they're scared. Well, I'm not scared to pose to CEOs and presidents and business owners or salespeople the why question. And I'm not doing it solely to be challenging or a thorn. I'm doing it to understand so I can help them improve. I tell people there are only two motivators, David, that drive any decision we make. And that is people are interested in how you can help them attain a more favorable future. And they're also interested in how you can help them improve their condition. And that is true if we are a customer making a buying decision or if we're an employee. So employers or leaders have got to understand my people want a more favorable future. My people want an improved condition. And if I can do those things for them, they will in turn do it for me, for the organization, for our stakeholders, our shareholders, our customers, our marketplace, whomever it might be. Um. We're getting close to our second commercial break. Uh, Don't forget to check again, uh, jeffblackman.com. Check the videos under the free stuff. There's a lot of free stuff there, and there's a lot of uh, things that you can uh, get from Jeff. Uh, And we will will be back on the other side of the commercials in about two or three minutes. Uh, See you later. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. 
To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're here with our guest, Jeff Blackman, for the final part of our show. And um, I want to jump straight to uh, one of the books that you wrote, Jeff, uh, Pick Your Profits. At the beginning of Chapter 2, by the way, it's page 31 if you're looking for it, uh, Capsize or or Capitalize, uh, you promise the reader that you can help them or us predict the future. How so? Well, the future is guaranteed when we acknowledge, David, that things will change. We're in a constant state of flux or metamorphosis. And every single either prospect or client always tells me about the changing marketplace. So when it comes to change, I stress to folks, okay, if we acknowledge that change is a constant, the next thing that you need to do is ask yourself a series of very simple but powerful questions. Here's what they are. Do you choose to innovate? Do you choose to imitate? Or do you choose to vegetate? And if you choose the latter, then I suggest that you do what a client of mine here in Chicago suggests, and that is that you abdicate. Because I stress to people that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got or less. And one of the stories that I love to tell when it deals with change is we turn back the hands of time, and it's now August of 1974. And in August of 1974, at the University of Illinois, approximately 160 miles south of Chicago, in Champaign-Urbana, it's hot, it's sticky, it is a humid day. And I'll never forget sitting in an auditorium, and this was in Clark Hall, inside of what's called the Noise Laboratory. At the front of this class, an auditorium with 500 kids, stood our professor, Steve Selbridi. My recollection is he stood at about five foot six, and his red afro was at about five foot nine. And here's what Celebrity said, David. And now looking back to realize that we're approaching this statement as being 43 years ago, he said the following, that someday a computer that fills this entire auditorium is going to fit on the palm of your hand. And my fraternity brother, Bobby Ramo, gave me a shot with his elbow, and he said to me, hey, JB, this dude is still high from the 60s. Well, so Brady wasn't high. He was obviously a visionary. He was prescient. And I tell folks, take a look at all the technology that we're now surrounded by, and we simply take it for granted. But what he predicted back in the 70s sits in the palm of our hand, obviously with our smartphone. And we just take for granted that we now live in the days of the Jetsons. And we're continually going to be in a state of change. So if you're not willing to change, it's the equivalent of the organic world. There are two things that, as an example, a plant can do. It can either grow and prosper or it can wither and die. The same is true of a business. There was a fascinating story that I saw on the news over the weekend on the CBS Sunday Morning News, and they're talking about Blockbuster. And I thought all the Blockbuster stores were kaput. Well, it turns out there's still about a dozen of them that are privately held, 
and nine of those 12 are held by one individual, with most of them actually in Alaska, because Alaska is so remote, it's really expensive. They have streaming video, i.e. from something like Hulu or something like Amazon or Netflix. So they still have got brick-and-mortar stores that house over 10,000 videos or now DVDs. But Blockbuster, the concept that they would go out of business, it was incomprehensible. And now they're kaput. So we are always in a state of change. And I always ask my clients, how are they continually evolving with their relationships, with their products, with their services, with their solutions? Um, as a business growth specialist, and you, you mentioned change, and it's a, it's a big chapter in your book, um, that change is constant, as you mentioned. I'm sure that you kind of run into companies or leaders um, that are don't like change or, or you know are afraid of change. Um, how do you deal with those guys? How do you kind of consult them and give them advice on an effectively dealing with change? Well, believe it or not, as simplistic as this is, it works, and we can do it right now. So I'm going to make a statement, and I'm going to ask you, and you might recall because we did this with your team when we were together in Banff several years ago. I'll make a statement. I'm going to ask you to simply say, David, three words. And the three words are up till now. Are you ready? Yeah. That's not the way we do things here. Up till now. That's not going to fly in our culture. Up till now. Oh, we tried that once. It'll never work again. Up till now. There's nothing left in the budget. Up till now. There's no time for that. Up till now. Cassandra, sweet. I love the extra dive in. So what happens is people say, oh, come on. There's no magical transformation. I go, no, there's not. But what it does is that it kicks in the belief system. And when people start to believe that something's possible, then they find a way to do it. They find a way to make it happen. I'm leaving tomorrow to work with a client that I began a relationship with a year ago in Jackson, Missouri. Fascinating company, really good at what they do. company called Ceramo Pottery. And what they do is they've got these gorgeous pieces of pottery that are available in garden centers all across North America. And since this is the second year that I'm working with them and with their dealers as well as their team, I need to obviously introduce new content as well as reinforce what we've previously done. So one of the pieces of information that I'm going to introduce to them, which they haven't seen before, is an excerpt from the interview that I had done in 1995 with Jim Lovell, the Apollo 13 astronaut. So Jim Lovell, Apollo 13 astronaut, obviously the 200,000 miles above the Earth, they're approaching the moon and the oxygen tank explodes. Well, if the folks on the ground back at NASA didn't believe they could get them home, and if Jim Lovell and his crew didn't believe they would get home, they would have died in space. So anything that is going to be either simplistic or for that matter even remarkable, it first requires a belief system. You have to have the expectation that you'll succeed. And that's why I love this time of the year from a professional sporting perspective, basketball, playoffs, hockey playoffs, even without my beloved Chicago Blackhawks competing. But those teams still competing believe they can win. In business, it's the same thing. You have to first believe that you can succeed, believe that you can win. And that requires you to change your perspective, to look at things from a totally different viewpoint. 
Um, let's move to the next chapter, chapter number three in the book. Um, and, and you talk about the vine. Can you share the vine philosophy with the listeners and with us? The year, David, was 1985. And in 1985, on the back of a napkin, on the back of a napkin, I started to doodle. On one side, I created the vine philosophy. On the other side, I created the opportunity selling sales system with their six steps. Those steps are also outlined in the Peak Your Profits book. And VINE simply stands for value-driven, integrity-based, and non-manipulative. And I stress to folks, you have to be those things at all times. You cannot have the quick fleeting hit. If you truly want to invest in the long-term, what I call the annuitized relationship that is the most profitable over time, you've got to be value-driven, you've got to be integrity-based, and you've got to be non-manipulative. It's not open to discussion. And I'm challenged on that. I get pushback on that. People say hogwash. Come on. It's really about selling and persuasion and influence being manipulative. And I go, well, fine, if that works for you, but it doesn't work for me. And clients that have had the greatest success realize that their true purpose is not to sell something, but to help their decision maker have a more favorable future and to improve their condition. You do those things, you embrace the vine philosophy, business gets a heck of a lot easier and a heck of a lot more profitable. Huh. Interesting. Um, in your uh, presentation to us, uh, both at Tech and uh, to my company, uh, which is called Creating Profits Through People, uh, you talk about the uh, small R and the big R. Um, and my question is, how do those work in helping us gain more uh, clients and profits? Well, every business that I deal with, every business that you deal with, focuses on developing relationships. Everyone says, we're in the relationship business. And I go, yeah, superficial. Let's dig deeper. So when we dig deeper, we talk about little r, which is traditional relationship building, and then big r, which is the business growth focus. Little r is things like humanity, sincerity, dignity, courtesy, chemistry, all important, but you need big R. And big R goes to the ability to be a growth specialist. So you help your decision maker maximize gain, minimize loss, improve performance or productivity or profitability. You need both of those working together. However, the best way to deepen, strengthen and nurture the relationship, current or prospective customer or client is with questions. And most people, David, ask really lousy questions. And you know, this is one of the skills that we worked on with your team. And this is one of the skills that I work on all the time with clients because their folks have a tendency to so-called show up and throw up, to do a product puke or a data dump. So we teach people to ask great open-ended need development questions or what I call power probes. Now, I know we're in the final stretch, so let me make an offer to your many listeners. If they shoot an email to Cheryl in my office, Cheryl, S-H-E-R-Y-L, at jeffblackman.com, J-E-F-F, Blackman, B-L-A-C-K-M-A-N.com. And in the subject, all they got to put is David Rocks. We'll know what that means. David Rocks means Cheryl will send them a sweet 16 of potential power probe questions they can immediately use to be able to grow their business and generate more profit, more revenue, higher commissions and earnings. Um, I have 
I think one last question uh, before we have to close our show. And um, in early 2016, in one of your blogs, uh, you wrote, uh, what are the skills that uh, people need to achieve their goals in 2016? So now we are almost half year into 2017. So I'll ask you, what are the skills we need uh, to achieve our goals for 2017 and 2018? Well, it depends upon the individual, but it's always focused on three possibilities. And I tell folks to look at the skills they need, the attitudes they need, and the behaviors they need. Once they've determined those three, then they've got to commit to a very simple formula. And you know that I always focus on results. I ask people, how are you compensated? Intent or results? And they say, results. I go, well, then don't use words like might or words like try. And the simple formula is I will do blank by blank. So that tells the individual what specifically will you do and by when will you do it. This allows you to monitor progress, track success, and keep yourself accountable. And one of the things that you can do as well is create what I call a profit practice partner, someone else that will hold you accountable and someone that you can hold them accountable. Because when you're in it together, that too can produce the greatest success based upon what you've defined as your skills, attitudes, and behaviors that are requisite for future success. Um, Jeff, I have 30 seconds uh, for one question. Um, What is the one question an entrepreneur or a leader should ask him or herself this year? What is the one major question that we should look at the mirror and ask ourselves? Interesting question. How about what haven't I done that if I did do would significantly grow my business? Can you repeat that? What haven't I done that if I did do would significantly grow my business? David, I was also prepared if I was going to have dinner with three people. I thought you'd ask me that question too. Uh, when I'm coming to Chicago in June, you can have dinner with me. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, you and I always have time together. <laughs> uh, we're almost done with our show today. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your story, your experience, your knowledge uh, with our listeners and us. It was a blast. Um, as a talk show host yourself and a friend, I do expect your feedback and advice how I can improve my show, which I'm sure I will receive even if I wouldn't have asked that. Um, Let's talk about next Tuesday. My guest will be Dr. Larry Olhauser. The title of the show is The Healthy CEO. Dr. Olhauser changed my life and helped me become a healthy CEO, and I will share that next week. As an entrepreneur dealing with all aspects of our businesses, uh, it is important to stay as a healthy CEO. More about that with our uh, guest next week. I want to thank our listeners and remind you to like us on Facebook, connect with us on uh, LinkedIn, and follow me on Twitter. You can also reach me at dvwallach at gmail.com. I wish you all a prosperous week, and I will meet you here next Tuesday, May 2nd, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.